This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. It's good to have a, another great weekend done. Yes, another one done and dusted. I could not believe the shells in the photos that you posted uh, from your walk on Aramoana Beach. That just blew my mind. It is. It, the shells have been increasing over the last couple of months to the extent that they're probably now covering half the sand. Not the wow. not the not the sand dunes, of course, but the um, and they're thick in in places. So we were talking about it at the weekend. We think there's some meteors killing off the dinosaurs, extinction level going off going on offshore, but it's pretty spectacular on the beach. Mm. Be interesting to try and figure out what's causing that. It Always alarming, that kind of massive change. <laughs> yes, indeed. And who are we introducing today? Speaking of change, um, it is my great pleasure to introduce Nandor Tanchos. And we've had Nandor with us before, but um, in particular, I was really keen to invite Nandor back with us today, not just because there's so much change going on in the world, but because he is embarking on a journey to hopefully become the mayor of Fakatani District. So welcome, Nando. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here, and thanks for joining us again. We appreciate you. Now, kia ora, kōrua. Lovely to chat, Māwera and Sam. Um, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. It's always great to chat. So, Nando, we had you on the show before. At that point, we asked how your bubble life was going. So now we can ask how your traffic light life is going. How's it going? <laughs> oh. Well, we've been very fortunate in the Eastern Bay because we've, we're kind of a bit out of the, the flow of the main, the main flow. So we kind of are quite sheltered in many ways here. And, um, and, and I'm, you know, I've, I've been very, through the whole thing, I've been very aware that um, I don't have job insecurity that a lot of other people have. So I'm very privileged and very thankful for that. Um, but I think it's been, um, you know, it's, it's it's been interesting. I mean, and if, I mean, if I think about the whole COVID experience, it was, um, I think people learnt, it, it was an amazing time to kind of re-evaluate where we're at as a society and rethink where we're going. And, and in some ways, kind of everyone's tried to get back to normal as such. But I think the ripples from that will, will continue. Um, but it, it's how, how the whole thing like slowly shifts in response to the reflection that people have had the chance to have. It's an interesting. It's an interesting time that we're in at the moment. There's a, a, a tension, I think, by between the fact that we think it's the whole COVID experience because it's been going on forever, but now mm. is the time when we've actually got it the most. 
almost everyone I know has yeah. got COVID now or, or yeah. you know, there's, there's hardly anybody at work, there's hardly anybody at swimming, and those are the two things that matter to me. <laughs> and the, But we're over it. It's a weird time. And I think we, we forget how fortunate we were that we missed those really deadly variants. You know, like there's a lot of criticism of the government's handling, but to be honest, um, we we were very lucky to have the kind of political leadership that we did that meant we avoided the mass deaths that we saw in so many countries. So now COVID's come through. I mean, all of our families had it. Most people I know have had it. There's a few people who haven't, um, but we've all got a much milder version. So we got what was a bad flu or sometimes even a very mild flu for some people. Um but we haven't seen the kind of fatalities. Um, and we shouldn't forget that because that's, that was, that's a big part of the experience overseas. Although we are seeing the fatalities because there's 13 deaths a day or something, 18 at the moment. Yeah. Remember not very long ago when we were like devastated when there was one or two. Yeah, true. Yeah. Somehow, yeah. We've, somehow we've normalised that. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Very true. I think the difference is, though, that the, the the numbers we're recording now are people who are dying with COVID rather than from COVID. We, the, we don't always, we can't always differentiate the difference between is it COVID that took them or did they just have it when they were dying? So it's a tricky situation, really. I thought they'd changed the reporting to make that clear. No, because it takes so long to get a coroner's report um, to prove it, I guess. So, Landor, standing for mayor. <laughs> I am. Glutton for punishment. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> well, I, I, I was actually, originally I was planning to wait another turn, but, um, but I think it's time to move in a bit more actively into that role. And to be honest, I play a, <laughs> it's always difficult, isn't it? Like, you know, karate kumura, but, um, you know, I, I already play a leadership role in council. I'm the chair of the strategy and policy committee this term. So I lead a lot of the, um, really important bits of work around climate change and such, um, but also um, into a range of different kind of council activities. And um, and I really, I enjoy that leadership role. And, um, but it's also really necessary because with council, you don't have, maybe in, maybe in other councils you do, but with us, we don't have kind of political factions or political parties. What you've got a bunch is a bunch of um, really committed, community-minded people who are elected on, who um, don't necessarily know a great deal about how council works when they come on. And that's not their fault. It's just most people don't. So people get elected on with a range of different expectations about what their role is and, and what they can do. And, count, and politics move slowly and councils move very slowly because of the kind of the, the law that governs how we make decisions. And it actually means that things take a very long time to change. Um, and in all of that, it's really important to have political leadership that can, can kind of pull everyone together as a team because otherwise you get people running off try, trying to do good but kind of in separate agendas and it and it divides the focus and that's really unhelpful for staff because then they don't quite know where they're going or what they're trying to do so having really active political leadership that brings people together that can build consensus can build a bit of a shared vision can build a team you know is, is really critical and as I say, I've, I've already been doing that work in terms of um, developing our our council vision and our our um, strategic priorities, which we've never really had before, um, but now we managed to build a consensus around what those things are, and that's been really helpful because it means that the organisation is now much more directed in where it's going, um, 
and the, and they're quite big picture things and you know trying to make a a shared vision which is around actually the significant issues that face us right now in the 21st century because as you know as we've talked about before we have huge issues and we have to really lift our heads up and understand what's coming at us and how we're going to position ourselves and manage our response to that yeah so <laughs> i'm looking forward to it <laughs> so how do you manage that consensus building and still hold on to your own values and ideals yeah it's um i think it starts with listening doesn't it you know um actually wanting to hear what other people have got to say and genuinely understand um one thing that's been really helpful for me is um i spent quite a bit of time um studying nonviolent communication which uh, was developed by this guy, Marshall Rosenberg, an American guy, who um, he, he kind of realized that conflict usually comes out. Uh, well, he, his idea is that um, our, our needs as human beings are never in conflict, but what's sometimes in conflict is our strategies for meeting our needs. Um, and so, and, and he, he gives a lot of really useful techniques for act, actively listening and separating out the kind of ego response that we all have because you know if you get attacked someone says nasty things we kind of you know can easily leap to the defensive but it's it's kind of letting go of that and hearing what's underneath those things that people are saying and what you find is that you know as we know most people we want the same kinds of things in, in around council we want the same kinds of things for our community we want the same kinds of things for um for our for our own descendants and that as well and so it's finding those points of agreement. What, where do we agree? And there's, and there's more agreement than disagreement, actually. And then you can start to talk about, well, how do we, how do we meet those needs in a way that's, that works for everyone? And I think, you know, if you start, if you have the conversation at that level, it's actually not that hard to find agreement. Um, but sometimes it, it helps to be able to furnish those conversations with some of the bigger picture thinking and some information, because often people don't have the full information and so um as long as and i think if people understand that you're genuinely trying to under trying to listen and understand them uh, and you're kind of open then they open in response as well and then you can start to have real genuine conversation and you can move forward together yeah let's take the first of your music tracks let's have the mighty diamonds go seek your rights why this one well, um, I really love this track, and I'm also really mindful that Josie Diamond uh, was murdered recently, just a few months ago in Jamaica, by some random nobody. And the, you've, in Jamaica, you've got these amazing artists who often, quite a few of them have met violent deaths um, just because it's such a violent society, because of the extreme poverty that you face there. So it's kind of in memory of Josie Diamond, but also because it's such a great song. <laughs> Yo 
amazing society here in the eastern bay of plenty incredibly resilient um in the face of so many things and and gosh Mm. we've got some real major challenges ahead of us that are climate change based Mm. um but i just wonder what do you put that resilience down to where does it come from for perspective well for me resilience always comes from community so we can talk about infrastructural resilience and things like that mostly we're not talking about resilience we're talking about making our infrastructure robust to climate change. Resilience is a very different thing. Robustness is the ability to withstand big shocks. Resilience is like grass, being able to bend and then spring back. And so infrastructure is really resilient, but we make it robust and we try and have some redundancy so that if one road goes out, we've got an alternative route. That's kind of a resilience approach. But real resilience comes from community. It comes from the connections, the genuine human connections that people have. So if you look at what happened here, and you're quite right, we get more than our fair share, and uh, that's going to get worse. But if you look at, say, the Edgecombe flood, when all these people lost their homes, many people ended up in the War Memorial Hall as a kind of first base to stop and uh, and get some information and kind of orient themselves. And at the end of the day... um, the Red Cross were a bit surprised because they're used to, in these situations, having to house a whole bunch of people. But in Fakatane district, there was no one to house because everyone had friends and family who would put them up. The Red Cross were a bit like, oh, you know, that's we don't really, <laughs> they didn't really like that because it kind of it was out of control and there could be risks and stuff. But that's that's how we are. We help each other out. And you know, the Marae are particularly amazing at opening their doors and feeding people. And, you know, and um, and that's just how we roll in the Eastern Bay. 
And to me, that's real resilience. And so I suppose as a council, one of the things is making sure that whatever we do to try and support our communities, we don't inadvertently <laughs> destroy the very thing that makes them so rich and, and strong. Because, you know, uh, agencies, big bureaucracies find it easy. It's, it's often easy to unintentionally do things that break those strands between people. So we've got to be really mindful that we're strengthening those connections, not cutting them. One of the um, things that always I always struggle with when I look into the council and I see that most of councillors are reasonably wealthy people who mm-hmm. may not actually understand or have any connection to the, to the struggle that goes on in the community. And yet they are charged making choices and decisions that impact on those very people. Yeah, How yeah. do we make sure that those people who have got that privilege, who don't often, and it's I find it really frustrating, don't actually acknowledge their privilege. Yeah. How do we get them to actually understand the impact of their decision making at the level of those who, who just one more struggle is, is the tipping point for them? Look, I think it's a really good question. And the... the the problem is a is a um, is a kind of structural one because in a place like Fakatani, and this may be different again in the bigger cities, but the the, the pay for a councillor is not very much. People like to go, oh, you're all in it for the money, but you don't go into politics for the money. No one does because the money's <laughs> you can make you know the, the kind of level that you work in it, you can make a lot more money doing other things in the private sector. Um, but for a councillor, the pay is so poor that you. If you're a young person, for example, trying to raise a family, there's no way you could afford to be a counsellor because you, um, it's part-time, so, that, so it's paid part-time, but the hours are so erratic. Like some weeks you can have two or three days, just full days of council meetings. Some weeks there's nothing. Some weeks it's this afternoon or that morning. It, it changes around a lot. And um, even though we try and keep it regular, it's, it's impossible because the workflows are, are, are very changeful seasonally, depending on what kind of, whether you're doing the long-term plan or what kind of part of the year, or what part of the, the um, term it is. So um, you, you can't do it if you if you're make your living on some kind of a salary or wage. The only people who can afford to do it are people who have some independent income. It means either that you're retired, which is what it usually is, or maybe you've got your own business where you've got a lot of flexibility to manage your own hours. They're the only people who can do it. So it means that um, it's, it's, it's essentially mostly retired, wealthy people who, who are able to, to step into it. And then, of course, you've got to spend money to get elected and stuff in this as well. So there's this kind of institutional barrier to, um, to people, to poor people and younger people as well when you're trying to build a family and start out for those people getting elected and that that's a real problem and um we've talked to the remuneration authority who sets the salaries and things which is quite a few times but they're not responsive to that and i think it, it creates a, a systematic inequity that's as you've said is really really problematic so given that that's what it is for now until we get some change in that area um, i think probably the best thing we can do is look at how do we get councillors out around the district? Because you're quite right, some councillors, and so, some, some councillors do very much understand the issues and they're in the community and they're, in, they're located in poorer communities. Some councillors, especially ones in town, live in their own kind of um, social bubble 
and sometimes don't even yeah won't even acknowledge that we have poverty. We have some of the highest deprivation, financial deprivation in the country in our district, and we have councillors who just refuse to accept that we have poverty in our district. It's it's really quite bizarre. Um, so how do you get those people into those communities? And one of the things that I really want to do as mayor, and I've made a, I'm, I'm making a really clear commitment to in in this campaign is is taking our council meetings outside of town into our small communities so that we have council meetings in Te Waimana, in Taniatua, in Murupara, in Te Teko, in Edgecombe, Matata, all these places. Because um, at the beginning of those council meetings, we always have a public forum space and people can come and have their say about anything. And that will be an amazing opportunity for people who never come into town for a council meeting, but they can come because we're in their community in a place that they, they're comfortable and familiar with because our processes are pretty alienating for most people. So they can come into a place that they're familiar with and have their say about whatever the issues are and we can just listen to them. And then after that, we'll have our council meeting. They can stay or not as they choose. And most people, I imagine, will, won't want to stay because council meetings are not very interesting for most people. But, um, but we, we're actually in the community and you get a chance to hear those people firsthand. Because I know when I've, you know, like, so um, my wife's family lives mostly in Murupara. And I, when I go out to Murupara, you know, I look around the town and I go, what do we really do for this community? It doesn't look like very much. And, and I know actually that's not always necessarily true. We spend quite a lot of money in small communities just in, because servicing the roads and the pipes and things like that is so expensive over these long distances. So a lot of money actually goes in small towns, but it's not stuff that people see. They don't see the fancy amenities that you see in town. And if you look and you look at the roads and there's a pothole in Murupara on the main road that they've been going on about for many, many years now and not getting any traction, you know, and you go there and you see the stuff and you go, you can see why people in this town don't think we do anything and why they don't vote and participate and feel no connection to, to the local council. So we have to get into those communities and, and talk to them face to face. I think that's, that's probably the, the most important thing. I like that idea a lot, actually. And because that is, you know, every election time, that is what all of those communities say when the, the, um, the mayoral debates go and happen in places like Murupara and Edgecombe. They all mm. say, well, you know, we haven't seen you for three years. Yeah. What have you yeah. done for us? And yeah, um, right. I, love, I think that's an amazing idea, actually. Well done. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orakadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi arohanu, kia koutou, ko I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, and your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all, the last more than two and a half years have been very trying and challenging. We've had so many opportunities for learning and growth and so many times of real difficulty and stress and because of this it's so important that we are compassionate towards ourselves that we give ourselves the time and the space that we need to recharge and recover our strengths and energies and of course that we are kind and compassionate to those around us it's hard to know what someone is really feeling or going through as of course for all of us we are indoctrinated towards functionality in consensus reality from an early age and part of this can be repressing or 
hiding what we're really feeling in order to continue. And for many of us, we must continue. We have to continue in order to survive. So, of course, when we are encountering one another, it's important that we are as kind and as caring, as patient, as understanding, and as calm and soothing as possible. In each moment, we have the opportunity to really support and uplift one another we have the opportunity to allow that nurturer within us to come forward and hold space and be there for ourselves and for each other at this difficult time. I know that for many of us we are dealing with the flow-on effects of COVID and as we all know I'm experiencing long COVID which means I'm needing to rest a lot at the moment and just do what I can and as someone who of course really enjoys frolicking about not being able to frolic about as much is quite trying but at the same time I'm really grateful that I am able to rest and recover and do what I need to do in order to be well again and I'm so grateful to the whole community around me that I'm able to do this so I really hope for you whatever you're needing to do at the moment you're getting the support and the understanding that you need and you're finding ways of doing being seeing feeling that work for you that nourish you that allow you to really fully experience those times of rest and repose and allow you to use them to their fullest potential in order to reinvigorate and revitalize yourself something of course that is always a great comfort to me is my sense of connection to the living world and the beauty of the living world, the magnificence of, of the natural world of which we are a part, which we are co-evolving alongside within an infinite web of life, and the sense of relationship and the sense of reciprocity is so comforting at times when we may feel our connection to the human world has changed or our role within contexts that were so familiar within the human world has changed and of course we see these cycles within nature we see that all life has times when it must recharge and withdraw from the frenzy of activity and growth but there has to be times of wintering and resting hibernation there has to be times of slow and steady progress and movement so I really hope for you, wherever you're at in the cycles in your own life, you're finding ways to really enjoy the opportunity to learn from these times. And of course, a huge thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team and all of you for having me. I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Nandor Tanchos. Nandor, when we talked last time, you were describing how you were exploring thinking about permaculture and applying permaculture principles to society Mm. how's that going um it's i I, I suppose it's partly um you're kind of doing it in the work you know and and so it's it's um taking time to step back and think through conceptually the ways that it's being applied and i try and do that Um, um i can't remember if at that stage I'd written. So I wrote an article about um, natural succession based on um, syntropic polyculture approach to, to 
food production and um, which works a lot with natural succession and talking about how um, when you get a weed into into your system, the weed's there to fulfill an ecological function. And um, and so usually our response is trying to kill it, get rid of all the weeds. And But um, what Ernst Grolsch, who developed the system, talks about is, is um, it's fulfilling an ecological function. So you've got to be responsive to it. You manage it. You don't let it get out of control. But you, if you can identify the ecological function and allow it to and, and kind of enhance and speed up the natural succession, once the conditions change, that weed will no longer be welcome. It will want to move somewhere else. And um, so I've been thinking about how you apply that in a social situation. I've been working quite a lot with some of the uh, um, black power whanau in Oatapu. And um, I think the same approach applies. You know, governments tend to, with gangs, we go, right, how can we, we're going to ban patches and we're going to outlaw the gangs. And... Um, as if gangs were some kind of club that people join. But in in some of our, many of our communities, gangs are just people's whānau. Everyone's gang connected in some way because you don't have to be a member of a gang, but a lot of your whānau will be associated in one way or the other. And um, and when you talk to some of, the, you know, and the, um, the inquiry into um, the kind of, um, the abuse of young people in state care that's been going on, um, highlighted that you know what drove many young people into the gangs was was abuse by the state. We created some of the worst criminals in our country by the way the state kidnapped them from their families, mostly Māori kids, and tortured them and sexually abused them. And then at the age of eighteen, booted them on the street and said, "You're on your own now." You know, like why? How can we be surprised that, that we have some terrible antisocial behavior coming from people like that and for them the gang is the only safe place for them you know um and and i'm not excusing the behavior at all not not us for a second but if you don't understand why people are in gangs in the first place you're never gonna you know deal with with the the problems associated with gangs you know so another other time i know guys who are in the gang and they're proud they're not gonna leave the gang that's that's their family that's that's for intergenerational now they're proud to be black power, but what they are doing is they're trying to change what it means to be black power. You know, they're actually within the gangs themselves, there's some amazing leaders coming through who are saying, we want something different for our kids, you know, and so it's like it's, there's a natural succession taking place. I believe just as if you leave an ecosystem on it to itself for in a thousand years' time, it'll be forest that you never even knew it was disrupted. And I believe people are the same. Our natural inclination is towards harmony and social well-being because we're social animals. Um, but we don't want to wait that long, right? We don't want to wait. You know, we want to try and speed that up. So how do we support the natural succession that's taking place already within the gang to more health and well-being? So, you know, I've been working with these guys in Awatapu. We're doing ecological restoration. And, you know, when it comes to being knee-deep in the mud, planting plants in the wetlands to try and restore the lagoon in Awatapu, it's black power. They're there. You know, they're turning up and they're not, they're not, there's no media. They're not doing it for media. They're not doing it to be paid. There's no ulterior motive. They're just trying to do something good for their community. And again, it's not ignoring or denying, you know, that there's still bad stuff that goes on. I'm, I'm not trying to romanticize it, but I'm saying if you want to um, solve these very difficult social issues, then trying to stamp it, it's like gorse, you know, if, you, you, if you're born, burn gorse, the seeds just germinate because they germinate in fire and you just get more gorse. And it's the same thing if you try and, if you try and police and repress people out of the gang life, that's what put them there in the first place was repression, you know. 
And so you have to find a different approach. And to me, it's about supporting the natural succession that's taking place. So that's kind of one way that I think applying these kind of permacultural approaches, I think, has real value. And it's it's a difficult thing because a lot of people don't get that. People are very negative. And understandably, you know, people think gangs and they just, um, they're very scared. And I understand that. And there's good reasons why people are But sometimes we have to step back a bit and look at the bigger picture, I think. Yeah. In terms of changing systems, and you talked about how councils are are slow to change. Some of that's for good reason, but some of it's not. Mm. Can you change the system from within the system? My view's always been you just need everyone doing everything. You know, you need people inside who are trying to change the way the system works and trying to create space for people on the outside to do things as well. But you need those people, you need those radical voices on the outside pushing as well. Um, I'm a real believer in, um, you know, we, we... We've, we've got to recognise everyone's got their own contribution to make. And instead of tearing each other down because, oh, you're not radical enough or you're not pragmatic enough, we've got to stop fighting our allies <laughs> and focus on who our real kind of opponents are. And I don't say enemies because I don't believe we have enemies, but we have people who have different ways of thinking and, and we need to work together to how we, how we, um, how we, how we change that thinking and the systems that kind of... Uh, that, that embody that thinking that that, that no longer that no longer works for us in the twenty first. So yeah, I think you can change it, but and it, but it's a slow it's a slow machine and it changes slowly. And again, there's good reasons for that. You don't want you know people to be able to come in and um, just steer off in another direction willy nilly because you you know there's some safety in there being a bit of an inertia. Um, but so I suppose the other thing is is when you're in those positions of formal leadership you really it's really important to look at how do you bring people with you how do you keep communicating and having those deep conversations and so that you continue to have a mandate from your community because if you if you don't have a mandate from your communities anything you do is not going to be durable it's not going to survive the next election so you've got to build that border that border and and (laughs) so on a bit of a rant but one of the things that's that we find very difficult in this country, and I suspect in most countries actually, is how do you have really deep conversations about important civic issues um, in a way that allows you to really get into them? These are difficult conversations we need to have. And um, maybe it used to be better when we had like town hall meetings and things like that. Maybe that was an opportunity to thrash things out a bit more. Um, but we don't really do that anymore. Um, we do social media um, in some ways, it's you, you can engage with more people more easily in some ways, but then the engagement tends to be very shallow. You know, a Twitter post or a fa- even a Facebook post, which gives you a bit more room, it's very difficult to get really into the complexities of an issue and kind of, which is where the interesting stuff is, right? That's where, that's where it gets really fascinating and where the, where the crunch points are. Um, you know, you can't do that on social media very easily. The, the, the mainstream media is not very good at it either. Um, and I'm not exactly sure, but I think I think probably we've got to try and get back to more face to face. It's hard to get people to come out, but I think if we can get people in a room together in a big hall and actually have a public conversation, I, th- I think that would be really helpful for some of these big issues. I've got no idea who your opposition is in your upcoming election, and I presume that you have written or are writing your election material. How are you positioning yourself in terms of that 
radical pragmatist. Is is, is that the is that kind of where you're sitting? Um. Um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily. I, th- I think, yeah, kind of. I suppose, but I wouldn't really necessarily use that term because "radical" is a word that scares people because they don't always understand what it means. Yeah. Um, but I think, for me, um, you know, I'm I'm a person who I'm I'm visionary, and I understand. I, I can see really clearly what's coming at us on the horizon and the big challenges that we face. Uh, I'm a big picture thinker, whereas I think some of our councillors tend to get. Uh, very lost in the details of things into kind of small issues i'm a big picture thinker um but i'm but i'm very much a pragmatist um because i recognize that you can't get everything you want straight away and you have to work with people and you have to work with different levels of understanding or and people's different ideas about what the right thing to do is um so i'm so i'm i'm fairly pragmatic about it and as i say my thing is how do we kind of have those conversations that that bring us all along together um, but I suppose in terms of my um, campaign, um, one of my big things is, is being, I'm an experienced political operator now, you know, um, I've been in national politics for almost nine years. I've been in local government now for almost six years. I've got a very good understanding of how the machine works. And it's a complicated machine and the levers, you have to understand where the levers are. You have to understand the t- the the time cycles and the rhythms of things to know where you can intervene. So, um, so I'm a very practiced, um, effective political operator. I've got really good connections into Wellington with ministers and uh, and across both, all parties. Actually, I, I've worked really cooperatively with all parties. Um, I was appointed to a bunch of governance roles by the National Party. Um, you know, so I can work across political boundaries, and I think that's important. That's one thing I want to try and communicate to the community is. Um, being able to work with everyone in order to to get the best outcomes for our communities, um, open and accountable. You know, as I say, taking meetings out around the community, and I've tried to be even in this term, be very responsive to people's questions and try. Like we've got some con- polarizing issues in our community, and my thing is um, try and put information into those debates so that. Even if people disagree with me, at least they're a bit more informed about why the decision got made. I think that's really important. Um, and I say the other thing is, is you know, like fall out, like trying to reach out across our districts, get out of just the, the Whakapani town and reach into all those different smaller communities. Um, so those are the kind of themes that I'm going with, I suppose. Um, and hopefully people will like them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope they like the song as well. Truth and rights. Johnny Osborne, why this one? You can see a theme here. I really like Johnny Osborne. He's, I, I really like, probably my favourite music is Roots, old school Roots reggae music. Um, the really conscious stuff, you know, that's really talking about the struggles of life and kind of holding to a higher purpose. Um, and I really like this particular song because it's, um, it's got some really kind of poignant um, stuff in there. But I think the main thing is, th- there's a real lesson for us with those those the Rastafari movement and those roots reggae singers, where these are people in extreme poverty. I mean, living day to day, hand to mouth, and um, people go, "Oh, you can only worry about big, big things if you're if you're wealthy." But the the Rasta community really shows people living in, in extreme poverty, but their vision was higher than that. They see they see beyond the day to day struggle. They acknowledge the day to day struggle. But their sights are set on something higher, on a bigger purpose, on a positive future. That's the justice for all, you know. Um, yeah, so it's just a reminder of, of the importance of, of 
keeping our mind on the highest level. show the theme was positive but not deluded and in the last few months we've been convinced to add a dash of deluded (laughs) how how does that sit for you that sort of positive mindset pragmatic but also that that vision is is that kind of where you are look if if i um if i knew at the end of the journey on most of the projects i've been involved in what it was going to entail i probably would have not set off in the first place so I think you've got to have a little bit of delusion to even get going because sometimes you look around and it looks it all looks a bit too much. Um, so you've got to you've got to have a bit of um, yeah a bit of idealistic delusion. But it's got but that's right. So I like I like that approach. It's got to be tempered by some realism, by some pragmatism. You know, if you've got to you, otherwise if you don't have that, then you very quickly get burnt out and you very quickly get spirited. And it's easy. These are difficult times. You know, these are hard times. We face we face um, challenges that 
humans have never faced before, possibly, you know. Um, but at the same time, I just remember that, you know, thousands of generations of people would have given anything to be alive in this, to see the things we see, to be able to do the things that we do, and to be part of this transformation. What an absolute honour to be alive today. We are the heroes of this time, you know. We've got to step up and step into our our heroism. And we've all, every one of us, we've got a part to play. So what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, I suppose I'm, well, there's a few, I mean, I'm really, really proud of our Climate Change Working Council. In my first term, I was a new councillor, but managed to pull together a, um, a grouping of people to develop some climate change principles, which were really, I think, really strong and really, really um, well considered. And what I saw was that we had amazing staff who just needed a bit of political leadership to unleash their momentum, their potential. You know, they just need to be given the given the go ahead from the political table. And so that you know that was an amazing piece of work. And then this term that's led into developing our climate change strategies, our targets, our action plans. Really ambitious. We've We've, we've already exceeded our targets to date. Um, at the same time, they've been things that have saved money for the ratepayer because they're mostly about energy management. Not all of our climate change stuff will do that, but that helps build a bit of momentum that actually doesn't cost to do some of the stuff. It actually saves us. Um, and we're being seen around the country as a leader in climate change. I mean, we've, got, we've developed a whole lot of learning modules for our own staff that other councils are logging into for their, for their organisation. Um, so... I'm really proud of that climate change work. I think that's been really amazing. And one of the other things I'm really proud of is um, the work we're doing on our relationship with mana whenua, with tangata whenua, um, like in, in Matata, where we have to do a wastewater system because they're, they're all on septic tanks and it's just an environmental nightmare, to be honest. And it's been a problem going on for quite a long time. And when we're sitting down with uh, a number of different hapu and iwi that have interests in Matata, on a co-design project starting, it's not a consultation where we go in and we go, this is what we've decided, what do you think? This is genuinely starting with a blank page, co-design with mana whenua, and it's building a new kind of relationship with people who have got good reason to distrust us, you know, because we've done some terrible things as a council in the past, and we're building a new kind of relationship, and it's a template for how we can work across the district. And that's a really, I think, extraordinary piece of work that we'll have um, so many um, ripples for the future. I like the line you said before, step into our heroism. So what's your superpower? <laughs> um, I think um, con building consensus, I think. Working with people, sometimes very difficult people, and building consensus. <laughs> so do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes, absolutely. I'm, um, when I was an MP, I was a parliamentary activist. Um, now I'm a local government activist, um, and I, and what what do I mean? But I suppose one of the things is I'm not even even though I'm a born politician, as I discovered, <laughs> as I've discovered, um, and I can't keep away from politics. For me, um, it's more important to 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 be there to do the work than just to be there for the sake of being there. I think that's what makes me an activist rather than just a politician. And I think that's really important because if you're wedded too much to the role, then you become too scared to do to take risks, to do to say the things that people that make people uncomfortable, which they need to um, 
Yeah. So so I so I like the work. I like the role. I really enjoy the work. I think it's really important work. I think we got to reclaim politician as an honourable profession. People, you know, people think politicians like a word of derision or or insult for people. People say it to me, "Oh, you're just a politician," as if that's an insult. It's not an insult. It's an it's a it's a public service. It's a it's a spiritual <laughs> thing for me. You know. Um, so so we got to reclaim it. But as I say, at the same time, without being so attached to it that we lose the reason why we were there in the first So maybe there's an obvious answer to this, or maybe it's not. What is the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or two? Um, the biggest challenge? Well, uh, if I become mayor, I suppose, um, well, I mean, I suppose it is building that consensus. It's, it's pretty clear, I think, what we need to do, um, we, you know, around climate change. We've got some really helpful stuff that's come out of government finally with the National Adaptation Plan. I mean, that's a really helpful, you know, it could go, it could go a bit faster. It's a lot of setting frameworks and things, and, but it's a really helpful framework and start for the work we need to do as a council in terms of adapting to climate change. The whole emissions um, reduction plan is also really helpful because it ties us into a broader national program because because we have to cut our emissions as well as adapt to climate change. Um, we've, got a, we've got huge problems with poverty and inequality here in Whakantane and a housing shortage like most places. Um, and I think for me, addressing poverty, one of the clearest and cleanest and simplest ways of doing that is through housing, affordable housing, because people have got, have got to spend so much of their income on just paying for the roof over their head that they've got nothing left for anything else. And if we can reduce the cost of housing, I think that would that will dramatically help to um, reduce levels of poverty and hardship in our communities. So, and, we, and we're working on that. We're working on a spatial plan and we're working with Māori landowners and developers and a whole bunch of different people about a range of options of, of how we can do that. So I think what we need to do is actually becoming clearer. Uh, there's always going to be knotty problems in there, but I think kind of we know where we need to go. The thing I think is going to be is around building building the mandate for those things and the support, really clear support for those things. And in, a, in among our councillors, if I am mayor, um, kind of lifting people's heads out of the potholes and the grass verge wasn't mown adequately to the real governance issues that face us and these big issues that we've got to pay attention to and we will miss if we're just focused on bits and pieces. So, yeah. While still delivering on those bits and pieces. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's that's the business as usual. But councillors shouldn't be worrying too much about that. That's our staff. We've got staff. Mm. We've got great staff. We've got awesome staff. I mean, our staff are fantastic. And I can trust them to mow the lawns and, you know, do their job. And if there's problems, okay, we can investigate. But basically, they can do their job. Our, our job as governors is to steer the ship, right? It's, it's not to look at where does the bolt need replacing in engine number two. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, these are really critical times. These are, these are the decisions that we collectively make now will set the scene for the next few centuries and will leave a legacy, an enduring legacy that the importance of which cannot be um, overstated. And so all I'd say is everyone has a role to play in this transformation that we need to, wherever people are, whatever their job or whether they don't have a job, whatever they are in their community or in their family or whatever, Everyone has a role. And so I think I just would like to see people think about, yeah, it doesn't mean you've got to go and 
everyone's got to try and become prime minister or something. It's like in in where you are right now, what can you do to facilitate this transformation? And maybe that means stepping into a new role if you feel empowered to do so and have the courage to do that. Don't hold yourself back because you fear you, that you're not good enough. We all fear that. I constantly, you know, worry that I'm not good enough. But then I look around and I go, well, I'm as good as anyone else, you know. And so I think don't be held back by your feelings of inadequacy. Step forward. Feel empowered to step forward. But even if you're just staying where you are, what can you do right now to this transformation? Because we need to make it. We can make it. We can make this transformation. Um, but we all have to be part of it. Otherwise, I fear the future. Thank you for that. Mawera. Dandor, um, I'm extremely thankful to you for the incredible commitment that you have made um, to not just to our community and making sure that the wheels don't fall off, but most importantly to our natural environment um, where the wheels are at risk of falling off. Mm. And, um, and I think that there's a tendency from so many in the community to put their head in the sand and say there's not an issue, all the while our, all along our east coast the roads are falling off into rivers and yeah. sea and cutting mm. off communities that are already struggling. And there's just so much going on and so much hardship and without people like you living it, seeing it, talking about it, bringing it awareness to it, there's no hope of ever changing. And so I just feel really thankful that we've got someone like you in a position to be the change. So keep up the good work and don't stop. Hilda. Thank you, Melvada. I really thank you very much. Thank you. a docker, I was a railwayman between the wars, I raised a family in time of austerity with sweat at the boundary between the wars, I paid the union and as times got harder I looked to the government to help the working man, but they brought prosperity down at the armory. We're arming for peace, me boys, between the walls. I kept the faith and I kept voting, not for the iron fist, but for the helping hand, for theirs is a land. With a wall around it and mine is a faith my fellow man Theirs is a land of hope and glory Mine is the greenfield and the factory floor Theirs are the skies all dark with bombers And mine is the peace we knew between the walls been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Billy Bragg. 
Between the Walls. I'm Samuel Mann in Surya's Bay of Dunedin, and I've been joined from Fakatani by Muira Karatai and Nandor Tanchos. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Matiwa. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.